You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the 2020 BGN Draft Special. This is episode 14, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist, and today we have a special guest for you. He is Brett Coleman, creator of The Film Room, and we're going to talk about the best and worst picks of the 2020 NFL Draft with a focus on the first round. We'll also talk about some picks we'd like to in the second round, and as a continuation of this in a later episode, I'm going to fly solo with some of my own best and worst fits on a future show. I mean, it's only May. And we've got a ways to go until there's real football to talk about. So we might as well continue to dig into this class. Plus, of course, me and Brett, we're going to talk about some Jalen Hurts. We got to do it. He likes Hurts, so we're going to do it. And we're going to have a special focus on like what Coleman saw in him as a prospect. So we might as well kick it over to that conversation right now. He is the creator of the very popular The Film Room YouTube channel. From what I can gather uh, from his draft coverage, he is a whiskey connoisseur. He is Brett Coleman. Follow him on Twitter at Brett Coleman. That's K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. Brett, how you doing, brother? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, brother. This uh, I saw you tweeting some stuff. We're going to get into it. Some very interesting Jalen Hurts stuff. We're going to get into some draft stuff. But before we get started, let the gentle listeners know about the film room because you are constantly throwing up like top-notch, great content, breakdowns, all that stuff on there. What's the film room all about? So it's kind of a, a, a marriage between uh, analytics and film study and kind of some narrative story woven in there to keep people interested. Because I know how, you know, film content can be very dry and some people's eyes kind of glaze over. So uh, I, I, I try to keep it entertaining and informational at the same time and try not to let my takes get too hot. But, uh, you know, sometimes I can't help myself. But it's, it's been fun. I've got about a quarter million people. Uh, that, that subscribe to the show now, and um, it, it's more successful and, and more people watch it than I ever, ever thought would be possible, and, and I'm happy that uh, I'm able to do it for a living. When did you start doing that, and like, what what made you start to do that, and when did you start to realize, like, hey, this is actually like a, a, a thing that I can leverage and, and do, and this is fun, and it's also like, probably make me some money, too. So actually, my wife was the one who kind of told me to do it because I was at NFL Network at the time. I was there for five years, kind of on the production side. And uh, when I first started making videos, it was really more just kind of proof of concept for my producers because I, I wanted to produce these kinds of segments. But, you know, have Dion and Irvin, you know, be the talent that present it instead of me or LT, yeah. or, you know, people that have opinions that people care about. Um, and uh, it, it kind of never worked for a TV format. And all these concept videos that I was doing, I, I ended up getting like 11,000 subscribers just by doing one maybe, I don't know, once every like three months over a period of two years. And at some point, my wife was like, look, you're not even trying here. Uh, what happens if you try? 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I slept on an air mattress for 10 months when I was making no money, just trying to make this thing work because we didn't have kids at the time and we didn't have a whole lot of huge life commitments. So she's like, Hey, it's now or never, you know, the best time to do it is when we have zero life commitments and, and you can just kind of, um, <laughs> try. And, uh, yeah. a few years later it somehow worked. And um, I'm really happy it did. That's crazy, dude, because like when, when I started the Scouting Academy, like I, I had asked my wife about it, like, what would you think about this? And she was actually pregnant at the time. She goes, if you're going to do it, do it now and figure it out. And I was like in like middle management at the time at like, you know, warehouse and shipping out the Amazon and all that stuff. I'm like, I don't want to do this stuff for the rest of my life. So very, very similar story that I was working at NFL Network. I didn't have that privilege, but that's cool, man. That, that's really cool to see all the success uh, that you've gotten and you know, it's led to the point where now we get to talk about football for a living, which is dope. And one thing that you were talking about on Twitter and kind of like the main reason that I wanted to bring you on along with your excellent coverage of the NFL and the draft and everything like that is I, I saw you in the pre-draft process really starting to buy in like it was a progressive thing as you were watching Jalen Hurts and kind of understanding his game and really buying into the fact that like this could be like a really good quarterback in the NFL that could make an impact. And after the Eagles drafted him, of course, the whole narrative is focused around Carson Wentz, the situation, and everything like that. But just kind of like stepping back for a second and just looking at Jalen Hurts, the prospect, what about his game really sold you on him? The growth from what we saw early in his career at Alabama to what we saw last year at OU was really incredible to me, uh, statistically um, and just from a tape perspective in terms of how he processes coverage. Like he's faster now mentally. Um, he's more accurate as a thrower. He's always had the same work ethic and leadership and all that. You know, everybody knows how legendary he is as a person. But as a player, we've seen so much growth from him. And it kind of got to the point late in the process, probably in the last couple of weeks, where I, I dug back into him a second time. And, and part of it was because I was kind of thinking like, OK, New Orleans, like, where are they going to go? And I put out a tweet about how Jalen Hurts would fit in New Orleans because I was like, yeah, they don't really need anything. Like, maybe they can look at quarterback. And I, I kind of was fresh off of Herbert and Love. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't know if I like that. And so I took another look at Hertz and and I also dug into his metrics because I was like, you know, I'm not really seeing the accuracy problems that people are talking about. And then I looked at his metrics and it's like, oh, OK, I'm not seeing the accuracy problems because he's literally statistically one of the most accurate quarterbacks in college football, not just from the uh -huh. completion percentage, but from like actual on target accuracy percentage. He was top three in the country the, the last two years, even when he was a backup at Alabama, he was still getting significant snaps and. He was uh, like 83% downfield accuracy, which is even higher than Burrow was this year. And then at OU, yeah. with a full season, he was at 75%, which is still, I think, would be higher than than maybe all but like two guys in the NFL this year. It's really high. Like, that's super impressive. Insanely high. And I, I think people – it's almost the opposite of Herbert, where people focus on three throws a game that aren't great, and, and then they go back to what they remember him being as a true freshman at Alabama when he was not a good quarterback. And they, they think he's still that guy. Whereas Herbert, they look at three great throws he makes and think, oh, he's going to be like that forever. And it's like, no, that's not how it is. Like, we need to see actual progression. And Herbert never got better at Oregon, even though they were both yeah. four-year starters. Like, he hit a plateau and he stayed there. Whereas Hurts got better. 
and and better and better and better. And I was like, you know, if I was going to put him anywhere in the first round, it's it's going to be New Orleans with Sean Payton, somebody who I know is going to take advantage of his mobility and do some crazy kind of Taysom Hill type stuff. But he's also a better thrower than Taysom Hill. And he's younger than Taysom Hill. He's not 30 like Taysom is. So I'm like, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. I put him in the first round. People lost their minds. And then he got taken in the second round by the Eagles. And I was like, you know, I, I would have taken him around earlier. So this is considered a value to me. And Eagles fans really didn't appreciate when I said that. So uh, yeah. it's, it's been a fun couple of weeks for sure. When me and Mark Schofield, we, we do the uh, the quarterback factory now have been rebranded. It, it was the QB's Co show before. As we were doing the lead up to the draft, we were talking about hurts and places like he would fit, like where he would thrive. And you mentioned that the downfield accuracy, he had mentioned like Tampa Bay at a spot that I hadn't heard before because of that downfield passing attack with Bucks and everything like that. But when you when you look at hurts the quarterback and you look at what Philadelphia does, do you think there's a match there just from a philosophy, from a scheme standpoint, or are there going to have to be like some, some, some tinking with the, you know, some changes in the system to kind of cater better to Hertz? So I think it kind of depends on if they go really heavy on the RPOs, which right. I would anticipate they will because they've been like top, top six or seven in the last four years in RPOs. Yeah. But with Hertz, they can really, really lean into it. And because he's such a good runner, um, I think he kind of gives them a numbers advantage no matter what in the ground game. And I, I think if you also package that with Ertz over the middle and Goddard over the middle and all the speed they have outside, you know, it's really hard to to fit in the run game at RPO with two high safeties. And I know that, you know, you follow Betts on Twitter. and He's been racking his mind for months trying to find a way to fit RPOs from too high. It's almost impossible to do unless you have a dominant, and I mean dominant, defensive line. And yeah. so when I look at the Eagles offensive line, like already they've got an advantage over most defensive lines because their offensive line is so good. And now if you're trying to fit the RPO game from too high against that offensive line, it's really hard to do. Plus having a mobile quarterback who gives you plus one anyway. So you almost have to play single high and then trust your corners to keep up with Rager outside, DJX, and all the four three guys they have. Now, I think if they really lean into RPOs and then basically just have a tag anytime they get single high of like Jalen go run, I think it could really work. Carson would obviously execute it better because Carson's an MVP caliber quarterback to me. But if Carson goes down, you have a quarterback in Jalen Hurts that I think can immediately you know, pick up where he leaves off. And even if it's only Carson missing two or three games, you're not going to lose ground in the conference with Jalen starting. So when you look at like the long-term picture and you mentioned Wentz, and obviously you like him, you said he's, you know, MVP caliber type quarterback. When you look at the long-term, uh, this is something that was brought up by a friend of the show, Joe Gilio on a 94 WIP, who is a known Wentz hater. I'll put it out there, but uh, I, I do enjoy his show. And he was saying that his gut was telling him, that in 2022, Jalen Hurts could really press for a starting job. And that's that's really when you start to get like the out in Carson Wentz's contract. I don't necessarily see it that way. But what's the best case scenario for, for Hurts when you get to 2022 and where you think he's going to be as a quarterback? Is it dealing him for extra picks? Is it challenging Wentz for a starting spot? Is it is it you know some sort of crazy, wacky 1907 single wing offense? Like what does that look like? So I think there's going to be in stages here. I think in 2020, we're going to see him in red zone packages so that you can, because you remember when everything's kind of condensed in the red zone, it's, it's a lot harder to throw the ball. Um, 
And so I think if you can have a weapon like Hertz that gives you a numbers advantage in the run game so that it's easier to punch it in with Miles, that also is a throwing threat that's better than Taysom Hill, I think we could see Hertz do a lot of red zone work and take those hits off of Carson and then have Carson do everything else because he's Carson. He's amazing. And then as we start to get into 2021, 2022, now we're seeing Hertz take more snaps in the preseason. People are more exposed to him. God forbid Carson goes down. Maybe he starts a few games. I kind of think back to some of the stuff that Howie's done before. I mean, he flipped Sam Bradford for a freaking first round pick and a fourth. If we see Jalen Hurts playing really well for three years in spot duty and a quarterback goes down in the offseason or early, or maybe just somebody misses out on one, maybe it's not a very good draft class, Howie can flip him. Yeah. And in the meantime, you get a very, very good backup quarterback for the worst case scenario that also helps you on the field in the red zone, takes hits off your quarterback, and he's dirt cheap. There are backup quarterbacks making $9 million a year right now in Marcus Mariota. Hmm. You know, not everybody's going to get Jameis Winston for 1.1. Like, if you can get a really high-quality backup for no money that lets you spend elsewhere, that to me, like, I understand what Howie is doing from a cap perspective, from an injury insurance perspective, from a potentially flipping him for bigger assets perspective. Like, it makes sense in a lot of ways. And I get that there was other talents on the board. You and I both love Christian Fulton. Yeah, but but Jalen Hurts is a really good player. Like it's okay with me. <laughs> yeah, and I think it comes down to where you are with Hurts and how you feel about it. And that's kind of like a, a why I wanted to bring you on because you're outside of the Philly market. Like you weren't one of the people that that you see online that are just completely ticked off. Like I had somebody like complaining to me on my mentions. You're being so negative right now. And then you look and you see like during draft day what they were saying during draft day, and they were flipping the frick out about this pick. You've liked Hurts the entire way of the process. You didn't have to do a 180. This this is all making sense to you from start to finish. So I like bringing in that that unique perspective and keeping it keeping it with the quarterbacks. What what we're gonna do here? Let's kind of pivot to the to the next topic here because I think we covered that Hurts thing pretty well, and you can touch on it with with other stuff if you like. But let's talk about some best fits, some worst fits, like picks that that we loved in the first round, picks that we did not like in the first round. And we'll keep it with the quarterbacks. Let's go with Justin Herbert, who you kind of mentioned before, uh, who our, or our friend uh, from PFF, Seth Galina, says he can't play. Uh, picked at number six by the Los Angeles Chargers, was the third surprisingly quarterback off the board after many people thought that Tua would slide because of the injury concerns. He goes fifth. What do you not like about Herbert? Is it, is it just about him or is it about the fit with the Chargers, too? I mean, the, the fit with the Chargers, I think because he's mobile and, and their offensive lines improved, like I think, honestly, they might try to input a lot of concepts that Baltimore does with Lamar to kind of protect him, or at least what they did when Lamar was a rookie to kind of protect him from himself. Uh, remember, Anthony Lynn comes from that tree. He, If he gets a mobile quarterback, that he can use a lot of those concepts that Baltimore uses, which Herbert is mobile enough, in my opinion, to do that. Obviously not as well. Like, I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think they're going to try to limit him from throwing as much as possible. Or if they do, have it mostly be half-field reads and and stuff that's like, you know, bootlegs, stuff like that. Um, Because Is that because you feel like, do you worry about his projection reading the middle of the field since he never had to do it at Oregon? Yeah, his processor is, is pretty slow. And I, I think anytime I see a quarterback where literally 25% of his attempts are screen passes, which is higher than anyone ever in the NFL, yeah. 
by a huge margin. Like Kyler's the closest one, and even he was an outlier, and he was at 18%. Like that is unbelievable. And to still, still, like I'm not a big proponent of like raw completion percentage as a stat, but if you're at 66% despite throwing more screens than anyone who's ever walked the planet, <laughs> that's a problem. You know, if, if you miss 20% of your throws to open receivers, that is a problem. If you consistently throw receivers into contact because your ball placement is spotty, that is a problem. If you somehow, I, I don't understand, you watch the ASU game. If you throw an interception on smash snag against cover two, which is literally a route concept that is designed yeah. to beat cover two because you throw the snag, <laughs> I don't get it. You're a four-year starter. What are you doing? And, and you took that guy sixth mm. overall. Yeah. What? It's tough, man. Eagles fans are pissed, but I'm, I'm just be thankful you're not a Chargers fan because, good God, I don't get that pick at all. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Herbert. I was I was definitely not his biggest fan. Like, I get what the NFL loves him, but I agree. He plateaued. Like, he went back to school and really was the same quarterback all year, and that's when you start to get concerned when you don't see the step forward. Let's go with, Let's go on the positive side of things. Let's go with the pick that, that you really liked. I think me and you are in total agreement on this because you sent to me uh, Jedrick Wills, Cleveland, at number 10. I thought he was OT1. I thought he was the the steal, the the best pick out of the top 10, right? Yeah, and I, I got a text from my buddy in the Browns front office right as that pick came in, and he just said, I can't believe we got him. <laughs> they never imagined he would be there. Like, they literally told Jed, like, if you're there, we're going to take you. But they didn't think he would actually be there. And That's crazy. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. He's the best tackle in this class. He's the best tackle I've seen since Tunsil. And obviously, there's going to be a debate next year of, you know, is is Sewell better than Wills? But that's a discussion to me because yeah. Wills is a really, really gifted tackle, extremely athletic. He has a, enough length. He's not super long, uh, you know, like a Mackay Beckton or an Isaiah Wilson, but he has enough length. Like he hits that 34 inch kind of mark that you, that you want to see. Yeah. But he's also extremely smart extremely good technician. I think he's going to play for a decade on that line, be a multiple pro bowler, potentially an all pro. And to get him at 10th overall without having to give up any extra assets is thievery to me. And it solves a big problem for the Browns as well. Let, let's go with a pick that's positive, but Eagles fans are going to hate to talk about. Let's go with the uh, the Dallas Cowboys. I, another guy that I really feel was a steal along with Wills in the first round. He falls all the way to 17 to the Dallas Cowboys. CeeDee Lamb, was he your wide receiver one as well? So it kind of depended on on system. Uggs, yeah. Lamb, and Judy all smashed together. And it was like, okay, if it's the Jets, I want Lamb. If it's the Raiders, I want Judy. If it's the Broncos, I want Ruggs. Ironically, they all ended up going to different spots. Uh, I didn't think that they, that the Raiders would prioritize Ruggs over Judy, but that's a different discussion. But, you know, Lamb, Lamb yeah. was that guy. We're depending on the team. I he would be my wide receiver one for Dallas just because not just because he was the only one left, but um, just because of the value of how good he is as a player. I don't think they thought he would be there and they, you know, wide receiver two wasn't exactly a need. You know, you got Amari, you got Gallup, but just to have a player of Lamb's caliber there um, and not to mention like they're going to have to save some money on contracts pretty soon. They can't afford to pay Gallup in a couple of years. So you might as well have a young receiver that is both better and will be cheaper than Gallup will be when he hits free agency on the roster already. Like that's from a cap perspective, that's a great move from a giving Dak as many weapons as possible. That's a great move um, from a trying to survive 
in the division against a very good Eagles team, that's a very good move. Like, because I think the Eagles are going to be really good. I think the Redskins are going to be better. I think the Giants are going to be better. Like, this division got better uh, last week, and and you need as many weapons as you can to survive that. So I loved that pick with Lamb. Uh, he's a phenomenal player, and he's he's going to give you guys some problems. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why in the second round you're thinking you got to take Christian Fulton because you're like, how are you going to cover Amari Cooper? You're not going and to. CD <laughs> you're not. Yeah, yeah, Dallas and Philly next year is going to be like thirty-five to thirty because you're nobody's covering <laughs> yeah. anybody. Yeah, and Dallas are really thought they were going to go defense in this draft, but like you know when Kalevon Chasen could have been there, but when you have CD Lamb there, I think you have to go CD Lamb. So yeah. Great pick for them. We're all thrilled for them. Let's let's go with a uh, a negative pick here, one that you didn't like. Uh, I thought it made I thought it made a lot of sense as a Jalen Ramsey replacement type. C.J. Henderson at number nine. Is it more about Henderson or Jacksonville? Do you think they can get the most out of them? Basically. So in terms of coverage, it makes sense. C.J. Henderson is a gifted cover man. The reason why I had him as my fourth-rated corner in this class behind Fulton, Terrell, and, and Akuda um, is the tackling issue, and that's a problem for me. And specifically why I didn't like him in the AFC South, you look at the teams that are in that division, you're going to see Tennessee run crack toss with Derrick Henry right at C.J. Henderson <laughs> 10 times a game. They yeah. are going to demolish him. Absolutely yeah. demolish him. And you look at the Texans. They attack the flats a lot with RPOs and demand that the corners tackle these big 6'7", 260-pound tight ends. They are going to demolish him. Jonathan Taylor is now an Indy, running outside zone right at him. Like, as good as he is in coverage, they're going to give up, like, five or six yards of carry to the edges to his side. It's going to be a massacre. You know, it's one thing if this was in the AFC West where it's like, hey, we need corners that can run with Tyreek Hill. The AFC South is a different beast. It is a hard-nosed division. They are going to run at him every single time for six games straight. And man, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. I, I wasn't a fan of that fit. Not that I'm not a fan of the player, but in terms of the fit for the division, oof, that oof, I'm not a fan. I was watching him uh, in the summer be- before uh, coming coming into this year. And I think the first game I put on was the first game of the season for 2018. And it was against Charleston Southern. And Charleston Southern got him on the nub side. So you've got like that closed tight end side where there's not a wide receiver out yeah. there. And CJ Henderson's, you know, on the edge out there. And they attacked the crap out of him to the point where Florida had to change, you know, they had to move CJ Henderson. Like, okay, bud, you're going to go over there and cover the guy in the slot. We're going to put a guy that can actually sniff around the box over there because they were definitely targeting him. They had to move him. So I definitely get that concern with it. Let, let's go with a pick that you, uh, we'll go back to a pick that you really liked here because this is one that, I loved. I think everybody loves. I think it makes perfect sense. I'm not necessarily worried about the running back value. It's pick 32. It makes sense to me. It's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to the Kansas City Chiefs, the LSU running back. Uh, I mean, honestly, slam dunk, right? CEH is one of those guys where, as the process went on, I think people started to get more comfortable with him as being listed among like, the top two or three running backs. For me, he was tied at RB1 with Taylor, depending on system fit. Mm. Um and unfortunately, my doomsday scenario was Clyde going to the Chiefs because that was the ultimate system fit. I did not want that to happen. Uh, I declared the AFC was over the second that pick came in because, I mean, what what are the rest of us going to do about that? There's nothing we can do. Um, but I think Clyde, he was one of those players where, you know, it started out with DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor and Dobbins getting all the publicity. And then as people started to watch Clyde, they started to understand – Oh, this is different. 
you know, I, once people saw the LSU and Alabama game, everybody's like, okay, this is a whole new animal that we overlooked, and this guy's going to be an, a pro bowler, like, immediately. Especially if he goes to a place like Kansas City. Like, he's he's going to lead all rookies in scrimmage yards. He's going to catch 60, 70-plus balls as a rookie. I think he's going to get 1,500-plus total yards as a rookie, and that's being conservative. I think he's going to get 12 to 14 touchdowns. Like, that's that's the rookie of the year in that system. I we have nobody and I'm a Texans fan. We have nobody that can match up with him at all. Like if we're playing Kansas City again, which I think we are like he is going to absolutely demolish us. And there's a lot of teams around the league that can say the same thing. If you don't have really fast linebackers, if you don't have safeties that can tackle in space, you're screwed. Like that's just that's what it is now. You're just screwed. I watched him and I'm like, there's other than like the long home run speed, which Jonathan Taylor has. Like there's no holes in his game, and he does everything extremely well. And you're right with that with that ability to be an effective receiver, not just on like checkdowns and stuff like that, but like angle routes, and you can get him on wheel routes and, and get him in the vertical plane and everything like that. I, I really like his value. He is my running back one. I love him. I think his contact balance is brilliant. I think he's going to be a solid running back for for years and just thrive in that system and eat. Let Let's go with your uh, last head scratcher. This is a team that just tends to march to the beat of their own drum and not really care what people think is a reach in the first round because they do it seemingly every year. Uh, Jordan Brooks, the the linebacker from Texas Tech, going to the Seattle Seahawks at 27. I hated the pick. I think he's a, he's a two-down linebacker with some bad habits and some coverage questions. Did you feel the the same way about him? My main thing is, like, I get it. He's a, he's a plus athlete. He's a good run defender. The coverage thing, I guess it depends on if you're watching 2018 versus 2019 because his role kind of changed um, yeah. after, uh, God, who's the kid that came out of Texas Tech the year before? He came out and then they moved into Mike. Uh, so his role kind of changed a little bit. My main problem with the pick, beyond the fact I wouldn't have taken him in the first round period, the guy who went literally one pick later was Patrick Queen. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're taking him in front of Patrick Queen. Yeah, one of the premier linebacker prospects to come out in the last, I don't know, three, four years. Probably yeah, the yeah. only ones that I would put above him would be Tremaine Edmonds and uh, maybe Devin White, <laughs> who also came out of LSU. I mean, LSU is a linebacker factory. But like Patrick Queen was like a top three linebacker over the last few years for me. And yeah. and you're taking Jordan Brooks ahead of him? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it's Seahawks going to Seahawk, but even by their standards, like this was egregious. I don't, I don't get it at all. All right, when we come back, we're going to get to some picks that we did like. We're going to switch to the second round and go over a couple of guys that have the Coleman stamp of approval. That's coming up next here on BGN. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, 
live only on Netflix. And we are back here on the 2020 BGN Draft Special, Episode 14, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with special guest Brett Coleman. So we did some head scratchers. We did some picks we loved in the first round. We talked some Jalen Hurts. Let's talk about the real value picks in the second round here. One guy that you liked that I, I'm not a big fan on. I know my co-host at the Kist and Solak show isn't a big fan, and I always butcher his name, so I'm going to try to nail it now. One of your favorite value picks in the second round Yatur Gross Matos. Did I say that correctly? And what do you like about him? I think it's Gross Matos, but I'm like you. I'm not 100% sure on it. I've heard it about 10 different ways. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll go with Gross Matos, but I could be wrong. Um, the, the thing that I, I, I do feel confident about, though, is when you watch what it looks like when he puts it all together. Like he is long. He is strong. His hips are way better than you expect for a guy his size. Um, it, it it looks a lot like a JPP, uh, a Jason Taylor. I'm not saying he is those players, but when he really, yeah, stylistically, like when he strings it together, you you see somebody who can be that kind of player. I would have taken him in the first round, a because this edge class was atrocious overall. And I didn't think there was a lot of guys that had a combination of tools that I, that I thought could be franchise pass rushers. It was literally just Chase Young and Gross Matos. I wasn't a big uh, Caleb Von Chase on guy as a pure edge. I thought he was really more of like a, a juiced up Kyle Van Noy, which in itself has value. But I didn't really think he was like a premier edge. Um, but with Gross Matos in the second round, you're getting somebody with extremely long arms that can dip. He has power. He showed a, a really nice push-pull move. He showed a swipe move. And again, he didn't do it all the time. The inconsistency was the problem that people had with him. But the talent is just tremendous. And to get that kind of talent in the second round, which you normally cannot at edge, if he if he gets the right coaching and they really polish him up and they, they kind of improve his ability to read sets and react because he can do the moves, he just doesn't quite know when to do them all the time. Mm. If you can polish that, I mean, he's – he's going to be a pro bowl pass rusher, a 10 plus sack a year kind of guy every year. Again, he's a, he's a he's a ways away from being that, but to get that kind of talent in the second round, when we see guys that are even more raw than him go in the first round every year is tremendous value. Yeah. Carolina really trying to redo their off their defensive line at seventh overall. They took interior defensive lineman, Derek Brown. And then at 38, they get, let's just call him YGM. They get YGM. Uh, let's go back to the Cleveland Browns, this second pick that I really, really like. So they get Wills at 10, and then at 44th overall, they land the, the rangy free safety Grant Delpit. Now, Delpit is a guy who's a polarizing prospect, partly because of the tackling issues. We understand there's the context of the collarbone and, and all that stuff. But, like, if he hits, he feels like boom bust to me. But if he hits, like, he's the centerpiece of a single high defense. Do you feel the same way about him? Yeah, he's one of those guys where it's, you know, you're you're playing 20 yards deep. I'm saying go protect the seams. If you're the one that's making the tackle, we're already in trouble as it is. <laughs> you know, it, it, I yeah. I see him a lot like I saw Eddie uh, Eddie Jackson when he was coming out of Alabama. And I put Eddie Jackson in the top 12 in my mock draft in 2017. People thought I was nuts. And I was like, dude, that's crazy because everybody forgot about him. And I'm like, he only broke his leg. This is a first-round yeah, guy. He didn't tear his awesome. Achilles. Like, this, is, yeah. this, is, this is really good. Bonkers. And I was like, I'm not paying Eddie Jackson to tackle in the flat. I'm paying him to go pick off passes down the field. And that's what he does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel the same way about Delpit. 
You know, uh, there's a lot of free safeties that have come out in the last decade or so that maybe not great tacklers, but they generate turnovers. They, they give me extra possessions. Maybe they'll score every now and then. Um, you know, they'll be able to affect the pass game deep down the field. They can control the middle of the field. If you go into quarters, you know that you're not screwed. Like he can actually, he has the wheels to keep up if they, if they isolate him on those double posts that people like to run against quarters. Again, you know, you're not screwed if they're running seam balls against cover three. Like he is that kind of impactful free safety, like an Eddie Jackson. And while the tackling isn't perfect, it's not a question of, does he want to tackle? It's not like C.J. Henderson where, where it's not in his DNA. It's literally uh, I'm taking bad angles and I'm not finishing my wrap-ups. That is coachable stuff. He he doesn't shy away from physicality. So I think the tools are there. The ball skills are there. The role is there to be their free safety. And the willingness to get better as a tackler is there. He's going to be an all-pro safety. I, I feel I, I feel pretty confident saying that he's going to be that kind of safety, maybe not immediately, but I think he will get there. And for him to go almost midway through the second round, because I don't know if it was, you know, medical or lack of workouts, or maybe people really did care about the tackling that much. I I would have taken him in the first round. I really would have. Mm. He's, he's that kind of guy to me. Yeah. I probably would have taken a swing on him at the end of the first round and I was a bit lower on him than some people. So to get him at, at 44, I think that's a great swing by Cleveland. I think they crushed those first two picks, Brett. It has been an absolute pleasure. One more time for the gentle listeners, man, plug your stuff, plug your work, where they can find you on social media, where they can find your channel, all that stuff. Yeah. You can find me on all the socials at Brett Coleman, or if you type it in the film room on YouTube, uh, that my, my work will probably pop up. I'm actually ironically working on an Eagles episode right now on the the offense I expect to see now that Jalen Rager's in the fold and, and kind of how they're building that offense. And uh, not going to lie, it's it's been a challenging one to do some research on, but I think it's going to be a good show. Awesome. Good, man. Thank you for joining me, brother. Thanks for having me.